Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 131, recorded July 13th, 2013. Yeah, so we're doing a uh, finishing off Shadowheart. So Shadowheart number four Next Generation miniseries that we started last week. And then we will follow that up with the Deep Space Nine Annual Number One, which came out at the beginning of 1995. As opposed to the one that came out to the, the end of 1995, which was also an annual one. Yeah, it can be a little confusing when you have Annual Number One, and then there's Ultimate Annual Number One. So I guess Malibu was really focusing on people want to buy number ones. <laughs> oh, good point. A marketing decision. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But huh. I complete guess. Right. So So don't hold me don't hold my feet to the fire on that one. It was pure speculation. There you go. So we got these two stories. Well, let's just talk about them as we I get to them. I don't I don't want to spoil anything. Right. And uh, of course, the first one where you have the fourth installment to the exciting Shadow Heart story arc, which is uh, pretty good. It's very uh, wharf centric, lots of Klingons, and yep. I, I, I get to synopsisize it. So, shall I begin? Yeah, sure. Excellent. Go ahead. This particular installment is called The Prince of Madness, and its published date is March 1995. Uh, the same folks produced this one as the other three installments, but that was a different episode. When, I la- when we last mentioned it, so let me redo those. Writer is J- Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Steve Irwin. Anchor is Charles Barnett III. Colorist is Tom McGraw. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Editor is Margaret Clark. The cover features Worf's snarling face with perfect teeth in the upper left-hand quadrant. The full body of Shadowheart in a brown hooded cloak is next to a python uh, slithering his way up a, a tree and that, or rather a vine and that dominates the right half of the cover. Two Klingons in containment suits are fighting hand to hand at the bottom. Worf is clearly one of them but the identity of the other Klingon is not as clear. Kern perhaps? Worf is the first to awaken from being knocked unconscious by Shadowheart's Nathrani rebels in the previous issue. He sees Riker and Kern next to him, restrained as he is, to metal poles coming out of the ground that have generated bands of blue energy that hold him in place. Shadowheart sees he is awake and approaches Worf. Worf asks, Nikolai, is it really you? Shadowheart says he knows of no Nikolai and says he is called Shadowheart. Worf tries to make Nikolai remember his true identity that they are brothers, and that their parents want Nikolai to return home. Shadowheart will have none of it, and says he will pass judgment on all three of them. Just then, an Athrani rebel named Andor tells Shadowheart that someone is coming in rumbling vehicles. Shadowheart turns from Worf and calls his men to battle. He says they will show Klingons what happens when anyone dares to attack Shadowheart in his own den. This gives Worf, Riker, and Kern a chance to assess the situation. They are happy to have a reprieve from Shadowheart's judgment, but they also figure the attackers are the Klingon security force that followed them from the city. If this turns out to be a rebel slaughter, it will be their fault. Three armed vehicles come crashing into the rebel village. Rebel warriors are disintegrated by heavy weapons fire, but so are families. To Arnov and his butchering men, women and children are targets as well as the fighters. Shadowheart leads his men to a brave fight, but Arnov's surprise attack and heavy weapons take out many of the rebels. Arnov offers an ingot of latinum to the man that guts the Shadowheart imposter. 
Meanwhile, the power generator that generates the blue bands of energy holding Worf and his party in place takes random weapons fire. It goes down. They are free, and Kern moves to get out of there. Riker reminds him of the mission. Kern says their mission was to stop Shadowheart, and it's being done for them by the raiding Klingons. Worf grabs a batleth from a fallen rebel and runs to join the fight. Kern calls out to him, saying any responsibility he feels for the, his adoptive brother ended when he started killing Klingons. Worf tells Kern his duty to Nikolai will never end. He is my brother! Shadowheart confronts Arnov, mano y mano. During the fight, he finds out that Arnov was the leader of the attacking force that wiped out the Lasarian colony. With focused revenge to drive him, Shadowheart makes an emotional lunge to cut out Arnov's heart. Six of Arnov's men rush in and pull Nikolai off of Arnov. Just as Arnov gets up and is ready to swing a nasty jagged knife at Nikolai, Worf, Kern, and Riker, swinging batleths and swords, enter the fight and start kicking butt. Their effective attack is cut short when one of Arnov's men comes crashing in on Worf and his party with one of their heavy vehicles. They are down, along with some of Arnov's men. Arnov walks slowly and purposefully towards Worf, with his cruel, long-bladed knife out. He tells Nikolai to be patient. His blade will still be thirsty for his blood after he takes care of the worms he has wanted since Junkar. As Arnov begins the downstroke to bring his heavy blade down on Worf's back, Nikolai says, No! He breaks free of the guards holding him and makes a desperate lunge towards Worf, saying, He is my brother! Nikolai is able to put his body between Worf's and Arnov's cruel blade, and in doing so saves Worf. As Arnov struggles to release his blade from Nikolai's back, Worf, Riker, and Kern are able to get up from the rubble. They all see the unexpected sight of rebels on eleven speeder sleds incoming. Additional rebels are also coming at them on foot. These rebels are armed with disruptors and start taking out many of Arnov's men. Outnumbered, Arnov's men attempt to retreat but are quickly overwhelmed by the rebels, who want revenge for what they did to Shadowheart. The rebels surround Riker, Kern, and Worf, who is carrying Nikolai's body, with intent to kill them also. Worf, Riker, and Kern all take turns telling them that they are not their enemy. A white-haired old rebel asks Worf what happened to Shadowheart. Worf tells them he was run through by a Klingon long knife. Kern completes Worf's explanation by saying it was done by a Klingon with no honor, and muscles his way past the rebels, saying he has some unfinished business. Kern catches up with Arnov as he is climbing into one of his large wheeled transports. Arnov is clearly leaving his men to be slaughtered while he drives away from the battle. Kern fires his disruptor at the cab of the vehicle, which forces Arnov out of it. On the ground, face to face, Kern throws away the disruptor to do battle with Arnov, who brandishes his cruel long knife. Kern calls him a murderer, and Arnov responds, saying no one but stinking Nathrani and weak Lazarianite farmers were hurt. Certainly no kinsmen's of Kern's. Kern takes out his detog and begins the deadly knife fight, saying Arnov is without honor and that he killed the brother of his brother. And after what he did today, saving Worf, he is now Kern's brother too. After a few attacks and parries, Kern lands his knife squarely into Arnov's chest. While Arnov stares unbelievingly at the flow of blood out of his chest, Kern lands the death blow. Meanwhile, back at the rebel village, Worf tells the Nathrani he must get his brother to a Klingon medical facility. Only there will he be able to survive. 
The Nathrani say they will kill Shadowheart immediately if they try to go there. Before the conversation gets any farther, Worf, Riker, and Nikolai are transported up to Kern's ship. Kern found their remote-controlled transporter bracelets on the dead corpse of Arnov. He tells Worf the small ship's sickbay cannot cure Nikolai, but at least the cryobed it does have will keep him from dying. He tells Worf and Riker that he found more things on Arnov's person that Garan will find very interesting indeed. Later on Kronos, the governor of Nathra, Limnad, is brought before Gauron and accused of treachery against the Empire. Gauron goes on to say he is in league with the Dura sisters. Gauron produces a small device that displays orders Limnad gave to his deceased security commander. The device was taken off of his corpse. The orders told the security commander to raid Lazarian and other worlds. The riches gained were to be used to fund the Duras family's planned coup of the current Klingon ruling council. Take him away! In hushed tones, Garan tells his aide that he is now rid of Shadowheart and the scheming Lamad. This all worked out better than he imagined it could. Elsewhere on the Enterprise, Worf is talking to his brother Nikolai, who is in bed recovering. His facial scars are healed. His mental state is back to normal now that he is breathing clean air that is free of the noxious Nathrani jungle gases. The last thing Nikolai remembers is going to Nathra in search of leads as to who attacked the Lazarian colony. He crashed and was taken in by the Nathrani. Exposure to the gases clouded his memory of the past. Nikolai and Worf's conversation eventually lead to the same old arguments, and Worf leaves Nikolai's bed angry, and with both men speaking very little to one another. Nikolai takes his turn remembering his childhood with Worf, the day he met Worf, the day his father asked him to watch over his new little brother for the rest of their lives. The remembrance of a happy boy ends and is replaced with an angry and bitter adult laying on a bed in sickbay. Of the end. So you think he looks angry there? I thought he just looked thoughtful. <laughs> I thought he looked angry. Mm. And that's why I wrote it. Right. But uh, thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like he, like he realized that he made a mistake by kind of being a little hard on Worf just then. Not living right. up to his uh, father's words. Yep, that's a po- that is possible. He's got he's got downturned lip mouth though. He he still looks a little angry, but it's probably a mixed motions. Right, right. Worf looks pretty angry. Last last thing you see of Worf's face. Right. Yeah. Not happy about, at he's all. Very sad. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, in reality, some brothers have some pretty <laughs> pretty negative relationships. So, right. That is unfortunately the 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 sake or the situation here, and it looks like it will almost always be that way. I guess. Right. So a better a bittersweet reality for Worf and his brother. Yep. Too bad. It is. But uh, everybody isn't like all happy and goodness. Sometimes there's some unfortunate nastiness too in life. So why not here? Exactly. So uh, after that last page, did you notice a uh, probably a printing error? So it, it has nothing to do with the comic story itself, but the comic, or at least the one I'm looking at. Um, what in has, the ads or what? Yeah, it has it has two ads on the the last page and the back yeah. cover. Yeah. And they're the same ad. And one's black and white, and one's color. Right. Is that that one? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, it has to be a mistake. Why would someone do that? Um, I was just assuming it was, uh, it was just... Intentional? I thought thought it was intentional. Mm. You know how sometimes they have covers in black and white and colorized? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Right. So, anyways, those who are not looking at the book, it's an advertisement for Judge Dredd, Legends of the Law. Yeah. 
And there's the judge being attacked by a big red alien with talons and stuff. Right. So the the flimsy, you know, uh, the the normal paper the, is color, and then the glossy cover is the black and white one, which, eh, just I I don't think that that's that can't be intentional, but okay. What do I know? Uh, yeah, and, and the idea that there is um, maybe miscoloring on a page. Or or other kinds of things like like maybe the badges aren't exactly the same or on the right side of pro- proper side of the person's uniform. Okay, but this is a I mean this is a whole page. <laughs> but right, yeah, whatever. It's, but it does it does look a good like a good comic. I do like Judge Dredd. Right. So this was uh, DC's version of Judge Dredd, which yeah. isn't quite this. You know, it's a different continuity than the um, the. Uh, 2000 AD uh, comics there in the UK. Right. But I've read a couple of them. They're good. Cool. Anyways, back to this issue. When Dr. Salar does her magic on both Worf and um, Nikolai, they never explain what happens to the extra muscle mass that they both had. Yeah. Because, I mean, they were both hulked out when they are on the planet, and then here, Worf's normal and Nikolai's back to normal. Right. Kind of jowly. Right. Right, right. Not busting out of his clothes. Um, right. So, don't, doesn't that need to be explained? <laughs> I mean... Well, I think they're just trying to say to you, you know, they're they're not breathing that, that those fumes in anymore, so now they're not all bulked out. As opposed to that making a permanent change in them. Right. But let's just say that the gas was some sort of super steroid that enlarged your muscles. I mean... Like Captain America. Yeah, right. It was a super soldier serum there in the atmosphere. (laughs) Exactly, right. Um, But, I mean, once you stopped taking a steroid, it it doesn't immediately shrink your muscles back to normal proportions. No, but I would think that over time you would lose muscle mass. Over time, yes. Over time, yes. Right, and then what about all the extra skin and all the other stuff that uh, that they now have to contend with because they were much, much larger. Yeah, so you're saying that Worf has folds in his skin now? I don't know. As opposed to rock-hard abs? I think they should probably explain that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Well, they, they didn't bother explaining uh, the scars disappearing from his face. Yeah. Well. Now, now, so... And I still don't get, were the scars on his face from the gas or from the attack? And if it was from the attack, then did they use surgery to get rid of the scars? Uh, or did somehow the exposure... I think it was uh, from the... I think it was from the attack. I think when he... Or when he crashed on the planet. One or the other, that's, that's I think, where he got I, the... I, air, I so. agree with that. I agree with that. But... But yeah, so, you know, they could just run that little light over any scar and it disappears, so. <laughs> Amazing dural regenerator. Yeah. Right. Right. And all and really all Nikolai says, even my scar is gone. No explanation. Uh, although obviously there are multiple possible explanations, but yeah. Right. And where's Dr. Crusher? Why why did they have to farm this out to the second tier doctor? I don't so. know. Good question. But I think it's kind of good. No, yeah, I'm uh, glad she got some FaceTime. Well, yeah. And not only that, it's like, you know, Picard almost always being on the bridge when something bad happens. That's unlikely. I mean, I, I know there's exceptions where they've had other people at the con, and then they had to call him. But a lot of times, you know, all the main characters just happen to be on the bridge when something significant happens, which really isn't very realistic. Right. Um, and so, you know, she's it's not her shift. I don't know. She's sleeping. I don't know. <laughs> right. The crusher that is. Right, right, crusher. So, right. Hmm. So on the cover, you yes. said that you thought that was Worf fighting somebody else. Wouldn't that be Kern? Because Worf never wears the containment suit. In this well, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just oh. saying what I'm seeing on the on the thing. And oh. really, in the end, because you see what happened at the very end, really, you know it's Kern and Arnov. Right. Right. And it even shows the old stab in the gut. Well, it does show the blood coming out of his of his torso, but 
It's like Kern doesn't even have a. Oh yes, yeah, it it, there it is. There's the knife yeah. in his hand. It looks okay, like I missed just that. Took the swipe. Exactly. Jab. But in but instead of stabbing it in, it's more of a, uh, a, a, slice. a like a slicing thing where he's cutting right. across his his abdomen. Yep. But that could also be a a, a mistake on Kern's part because as soon as that containment suit is breached the Hulk. gases come in he starts hulking out yeah <laughs> it takes a little time though it but I, I dig what you're saying right I thought that shadow heart on the cover looked like Batman at least the way they did his because of the cloak right yeah yeah because oftentimes especially in the 90s they drew Batman with the pointy shoulders like that and then the the cape just flowing over his whole body where you couldn't see any Good part point. of his body so it was probably, you know, comic book writers, they're used to drawing superheroes. I think it was just the yeah. style. Yeah. Open and again, style. again, Paul Sarvino's face on the cover. Right, of course. But it's with Nicolai. a with a single scar rather than lots of them. Right. They took artistic license. Exactly. Again, I love these covers, the cover by artist. the way. These covers are awesome. Yeah, they are good. Uh, there's a lot of detail to them. They took their time, I think, with, with many aspects of it, many right. parts of it. Uh, Worf's face has a lot of detail. I like Go those uh, energy bands around it. Those I was blue just say energy bands. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, because yeah. that same, like, really, uh, you're in a little, you're in a little, a, a small little village. You live in, you know, uh, wicker houses. <laughs> and you have these three pillars there in the middle of your town square that has energy restraints on them. Right. Seems a little hard to believe. Yeah, and of course they were they were being supplied a lot of things by uh, Gauron and company, as we found out later. And of course they could have taken all kinds of stuff from the Klingon armory when they did the raid. Mm-hmm. But really... It's like ropes could have done just as well. Exactly. <laughs> I think the like the only engineered the only reason why they had these energy bands is because when uh, when the Klingons started attacking, the generator yeah. is destroyed so that they can right. get loose. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was the only explanation I could come up with why they needed the energy bands, aside oh. from them looking kind of cool. But well, I was about to say that too. I your explanation for the primary reason they did that is spot on. But I'll also say they look kind of cool, and this is supposed to be the future. But, yeah, whatever. The future. The future. Which, everything on this planet has a very contemporary technological look. I mean, the uh, vehicles have giant, you know, tractor-like wheels. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing's, you know, aside from the hover sleds that the uh, rebels use, I mean, everything kind of looked like it could exist now. Yeah. Except yeah, for these energy band restraints. Right. Yeah, the Kling- the three Klingon uh, attack vehicles look like they could have been made by Caterpillar. Exactly. Yeah. And they look functional. I mean, they, they look like they would yeah. really tear down those trees and, you know, the gun turrets on the top. And Right. I liked it. Yep. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It was pretty sad seeing the, uh, you know... Again, they do a really good job as far as showing the the pink laser hitting people, and then they kind of disintegrating. Right. So. Uh, they, 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 yeah, they they show the pain that comes along with a disruptor blast. Right. Now, I didn't care to see the kids getting it there on yeah. page five. That was that was a little much, I thought. Yes, it was. But they're trying to have you really hate uh, the attacking Klingons. And they want you to feel along with uh, Worf and his party about the guilt they're feeling uh, based on what they're seeing, the slaughter right. of women and children. Yeah. It's just that little boy taking it and then the mom running to him no, yep. as he's disintegrating into nothingness. Right. Oh, yep. It's not wrenching. good. Not good. Especially being a parent. Right. You can relate. But uh, anyways, uh, let's see. What other comments you got? Um, well, I thought it was pretty handy that apparently everybody that 
in Shadowheart's Nathrani rebel group that have uh, like real weapons are mostly like off somewhere. So all this, all the attack sleds seem to be off somewhere. The heavy weaponry seems to be off somewhere. Uh, yeah, there, there's a there's a few of uh, Shadowheart has a a Klingon disruptor in his hand, and uh, a few of the other ones have that, but a lot of them have have bladed weapons. Right. So yes, I agree. In the initial sneak attack, Shadowheart has to look in trouble. So fine, I get that. It's just that when the cavalry comes, it's like, where was the cavalry before? It's like kind of convenient, the timing of why the people with the real real weapons are not around at first, and then when they do come in, they do come in just in the nick of time. Right. And but I don't. That's un- fine. Yeah, I, I totally Whatever. agree with you. Plus, I don't understand where Nikolai's disruptor goes. I mean, does he drop it because he wants to do the knife versus disruptor fight? And he has the knife? I mean, he has a knife and a disruptor, and then when he starts fighting Arnov, he suddenly only has the the knife. Agreed. But you'll remember that's the same kind of stuff he did when they attacked that floating armory in issue 2 or 3 or whatever it was. When he took out the commander of the armory, he did it with a knife. And he dropped his disruptor? Well, I guess. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Especially since Arnov has his disruptor drawn. Exactly. And shooting at you. And is shooting at you, yes. I think I'd go for something a little bit more sure. Right, right. And indeed, that turns out to be the bad strategy, since all of his people are able to come in and uh, pull him off. Right. But you will admit that if they didn't get down to a knife fight, because you'll notice, uh, well, anyway, lots of stuff happens in the fight. But in the end, they do come down to knife and knife, so they're able to have a long conversation. Mm-hmm. And we're all able to find out that, uh, indeed, Arnov is the attacker of Lazeria. So. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that Arnov would look at his face and say, Oh, I remember your face. Mm-hmm. You were on that colony that I destroyed. Yep. I would think it's more like, all humans look the same. <laughs> exactly. Or, I mean, plus, how memorable... I mean, I guess they did say that you know Nikolai fought valiantly and blah, 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 blah. So maybe he did uh, you know, form an impression on, on Arnov's, you know, in Arnov's mind. But... Right. I don't know. It seemed odd that he would remember just one face out of all the hundreds of people that he's killed. Right. I agree. Or maybe he's got a really good memory. You know, it could be photographic. You don't know. That's true. I think uh, Worf looks very cool when he's joining the fight and he grabs the uh, Atlas. Right. I mean, he looks... And that what page is that on? That's on page 8. You know, he's a little, he's a little hunched over because he just grabbed the uh, batleth from the fallen rebel, mm-hmm. and he's and he's like coming up from from being kind of turned over into battle, and he looks and he's all hulked out. He looks pretty bad. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's you mean a, bad as in good, right? Bad as in good. Okay, just making sure. Bad. There you go. <laughs> no, I agree a hundred percent. I like that shot. Yeah. Wharf smash. <laughs> exactly. That's great. Uh, I, I do like how Kern ends up being the one that goes after uh, Arnov. Right. And his change of heart about Nikolai. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course, he's got he's got good reason to cha- for a change of heart, but there's no hesitation. He's with the program, finally, and he goes after Arnov. So I like that. You attacked the brother of my brother. I thought that was I thought those were good. Yeah. That was good dialogue. I agree. I did not really follow how Kern was beamed up to the ship prior to everybody else when I thought their armbands were already confiscated and destroyed. So how did well, Kern get up to the building or to the ship? Well, they were confiscated but they weren't destroyed. Arnov had them. As a matter of fact, it's really yeah. interesting how many Arnoff great things Arnov had. Yeah, right. And after Kern killed him, 
he took a whole he took multiple things off of Arnov's uh, person. So Arnov had them on, on he was wearing them. Apparently, three, three armbands. And his uh, <laughs> and his PDA or whatever he got his orders on. Yep. Uh, don't buy that. No. That's what that's what Kern said. He uh, yeah, I got all kinds of great things off of him after I killed him. <laughs> and and he made it sound like it was on his person, but who knows? Maybe it was in one of the vehicles. I don't know. Right. But um, you know the PDA having having the PDA on you when you go into battle okay fine it's not that big a device but um, those three armbands jangling around uh, that, that that I agree with you that's a little harder to believe right. plus this is a visual medium I can see that he does not have them <laughs> they're not on his arm they're not jangling off his belt it, it, they're not on him huh. I mean, if all, it was I can, a, all, all I can tell you is what the comic said I know I know um, I thought that the uh, the scene on Kronos where the governor gets judgment passed on him, mm-hmm. um, I could have probably done without that page. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I don't know. It just seemed, it, I don't know. It just kind of took you out of the moment because you really wanted to focus on these these you know the 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 three brothers, and then you get two pages of this, and then it's pretty much over. Yeah, but somebody has to explain what Kern found. You know, the the orders on the PDA, all that kind of stuff. I guess so. I guess so. But, yeah, they did kind of draw it out a bit. And then he's saying, lies, I am innocent of this. Innocent, I tell you. It's like, you were caught dead to rights. Right. Just just go away, Gov. Working with the Dura sisters. Exactly. And when I said that, my eyeballs were popping out of my head. Exactly. uh, Duras. You can't uh, you can't do that imitation without having your eyeballs physically leave their sockets. Exactly. <laughs> or at least be on the edge of coming out. I do like that picture on uh what is it? Uh these aren't numbered. Uh well the the first page The first of, page of the of the judge judging. Right. They do that scene. one one good shot of Gowron. The rest of them he doesn't quite look right, but that one right in the middle. And you know, I think they either even though I think they did a good job there, I think they could have gone even further with the bulging eyes. <laughs> I think because he's he's got Marty Feldman eyes, man. Ugh, you know, go a little further. Take a little. Further. It's a comic. You can do that. Although it does look good. Did you ever watch? Um, did you ever watch The Mask or one of the no. ones that he's? I in? did. I did not go back to The Mask. I have not taken that particular uh, journey into. Uh, cinematic history right right all right well uh i don't have anything else except for you know picard doesn't show up at all in this which was you know i'm not complaining because he didn't need to but it's no. kind of odd to have an issue where he doesn't even show up to say oh i wonder how alexander's taking this <laughs> <laughs> like he, he had a couple of cameos in the last couple of issues where he yeah have. right and, yeah. you know, uh, the only explanation in that previous issue that I thought they were having that is because they were going to, you know, somehow wrap Alexander into the story. I mean, it is his father and two uncles, you know, on this mission or against each other, and he doesn't even make an appearance to say, oh, glad to have you back, Dad. <laughs> Nothing. Well, I'm glad they didn't do that. I mean, I agree it would make sense that that that, that would happen and to meet his uncle. Because right. he hasn't ever seen his uncle, right? Or maybe uh, he did. I don't know. Well, he's, you mean Nikolai? Yeah. Uh, it depends on if this story is before or after that one episode of Next Generation where he shows up. Yeah. And I, I, and I again, will, will vote my opinion that that episode was before this one. But who knows? I mean, I'm sure you could go and look at, listen to the star dates and really track it. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it, I think although some some writers will really take the time to do that kind of thing, if they think they can get away with it and it really isn't that important, they probably just go with it. Right. Exactly. And so they they'll they'll take a risk from the uh, from the reader or viewer out there. 
that wants to call them on uh, continuity things. Right. Like you, sir. Sir, sir, don't you realize? <laughs> All right. Well, that was my last comment. You have anything else? Um, no, not on this one. I liked it. I, I liked it. I mean, there were some things that were kind of schmaltzy and predictable. Um, sure. But uh, I, I did, I did like it. Yeah, me too. Overall, I really liked this miniseries. I thought it was yeah. uh, really well done. Um, yeah. You know, there was a few little things that. I like to nitpick, but aside from that, sure. I mean, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought the story was quite good. I thought I thought the artwork was very consistent. I thought it was very good. Um, there's some there's some comics where it looks cheap, or like they didn't spend as much time on the artwork as they could have, or it's like uneven. Like like some panels they spend a lot of time, other ones are just like shh, 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 done. But <laughs> This is, I think the artwork is very consistent and nice with this. Right. Yep. My only complaint at all is the, in the last issue or one of the earlier issues, Worf getting hit with a disruptor and it taking so long to disintegrate his ship that he, or his suit that he's able to get out of it and walk away. But that's not necessary. That's not artwork per se. That's script. Well, yeah. Well, probably a script, but who knows. Right. Well. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's all I have for this one. All right, so next up is the spectacular 64-page annual Star Trek Deep Space Nine, number one. I'm looking forward to it. Spectacular. Big red banner at the top of the cover. Love it. Right. So anybody who's a collector of uh, comics will know that there is the Star Trek Deep Space Nine spectacular 64-page annual, not to be confused with the Star Trek Deep Space Nine ultimate annual. Well, who'd do that? Number one. They're both number ones, and they both came out the same year, so... Who'd confuse that? Come on. (laughs) One's spectacular and one's ultimate. Right. One came out in January of 95, and one came out in December of 95. Of course. Nothing to be confused about. Anyways, so uh, this, uh, like I said, came out January, I mean, yeah, January of 1995. Its writing staff is Michael W. Barr as the writer, Leonard Kirk as penciler, Rob Davis finishes, Joseph Allen Letterer, Moose Bauman as color design, Janice Weismar with violet hues for the interior colors, Clarissa Mansala as assistant editor and Mark Pansia as the concept slash editor. Uh, the title of this uh, 64-page monster is The Looking Glass War. So you're going to think Mirror Universe, but uh, it might not be the Mirror Universe you think. All right, so the cover shows a Deep Space Nine that's maybe ravaged with some battle damage uh, in front of the wormhole. And in orbit around Deep Space Nine is a battered-looking Defiant head-to-head with a newly-minted Defiant. So, don't know what's going on there yet. So, let's jump in. So, the story starts off with a Bolian transport departing Deep Space Nine to go into the wormhole. Suddenly, the wormhole flares open, and a damaged USS Defiant emerges. Since the real ship is currently docked at Deep Space Nine, everyone is quite puzzled by this. O'Brien beams the sole occupant straight to the infirmary. Commander Sisko and Dax are shocked when they discover that the pilot of the craft is none other than Curzon Dax, who in this universe had died over four years ago. Curzon reveals that he comes from a parallel dimension, not the mirror universe, but yet another universe. In that uh, he's here because he needs Odo's help to stop a war between the Federation and the Dominion. So in our continuity, this is still a couple years away from what we would call the Dominion War. So a little foreshadowing for what's going to happen to our guys later. Curzon goes ahead and explains that negotiations were set up between the 
Federation and the Dominion. Curzon was the Federation's chief negotiator. However, the talks broke down, and that universe's versions of Sisko, Kira, and Bashir were taken captive. With a full-out war inevitable, Curzon and the that universe's O'Brien modified the Defiant to travel between dimensions via the wormhole and a trans-warp drive. Or trans-dimensional, I think they use both words throughout the book. After encountering numerous other universes, including the one occupied by only the Borg, and even a little shout-out to our beloved Mirror Universe, Curzon comes across ours. This is the first universe which exists the person he's looking for, who's Odo. In his universe, Odo was murdered, causing the peace talks to collapse with each other blaming the other side. Curzon needs Odo's help to impersonate his universe's Odo in order to find the killer, save the crew, and prevent the alternate Dominion War. Sisko says that any intervention would violate the Prime Directive, and he forbids Odo to go. He orders Curzon confined to quarters until he can be returned to his own dimension. Curzon escapes his room through a hole hidden behind the replicator station. He stuns Odo, modifies the engines of the real Defiant, and steals it by firing at the docking clamps that attach it to Deep Space Nine. He escapes into the wormhole and with his engines modified into his own dimension. Odo wakes when they arrive at the alternate Deep Space Nine. Odo agrees to go along with Curzon's plan and to pretend to be that dimension's Odo and find the killer. Once they arrive, he makes a few appearances around the station, surprising everyone who thought he was dead. Odo examines the hall where the alternate Odo was apparently killed. Odo notices some unusual residue pattern on the floor. In his quarters, he finds an identical smear on his bucket, which holds a Bajoran flame plant. A plant which, upon first encountering, causes a painful rash to spread on the victim. Meanwhile, back on the real Deep Space Nine, the crew have the alternate Defiant repaired and ready to travel back to the alternate universe. As soon as they exit the wormhole, they see their Defiant, and both ships are attacked by Jem'Hadar ships. The Jem'Hadar are able to lock a tractor beam on their ship and reel it in. O'Brien and Jedzia are hidden as Sisko, Bashir, and Kira are beamed over to the Jem'Hadar ship. The Jem'Hadar ship arrives at a cloaked space station, and the prisoners are transferred over. The Jemadar leader is confused that there's yet another set of Sisko, Dax, and Bashir. Bashir tries to confuse them about clones and other what-nots uh, about um, being disguises. But the Jemadar leader is unimpressed and just throws them into the brig. Odo and Curzon were in a cloaked Defiant, and they followed the Jemadar to the station. Odo disguises himself as a Jem'Hadar, and the duo beam over. They are surprised by O'Brien and Dax, who had sneaked over from their Defiant into the station, undetected. Dax, not knowing that it's Odo, shoots him, and he is momentarily turned into a pool of goo. The two crews get to work on an unknown chemical mixture suggested by both our Bashir and Odo. Meanwhile, Sisko, Kira, and Bashir manage to overpower their guards during the attack, and they free their counterparts. The only way to tell the difference between the two universes' personnel is that the alternate Federation communicators are slightly different. Aside from that, everyone acts the same and seems to all have the same rank. They make their way to the lab where the others are. As Dax completes the isogenic enzyme found in Ketracel White, and when she releases this into the air, it causes the Jem'Hadar to seize up in some sort of convulsions. They pump the mixture into the air ducts and walk out of the station unhindered. With both crews ready to return to their correct ship and head back to Deep Space Nine via the wormhole, Odo opens up a communication to the counterpart ship and reveals 
who his counterpart's murderer was. It was Kira. Her logic for doing this kind of eludes me, but she says that it had something to do with a Bajoran-Romulan alliance is better than a Federation-Dominion one. Uh, beats me what she's talking about. But anyway, she killed her Odo in his quarters and then transported the remains in his bucket to the hall where they were found. She would have had previous contact with the plant, so that's why she never developed the rash. Kira takes control of the other Defiant. She orders her crew into the ship's escape craft. The Defiant takes the escape craft in by a tractor beam. They are able to push the escape pod out of the wormhole towards the alternate Deep Space Nine. Then they're able to use their transdimensional drive to return them to their Deep Space Nine, just as Kira uses the self-destruct on the alternate Defiant to collapse the wormhole, thus stopping their Dominion Federation War. The end. Wasn't wow. that a clear and precise ending that made 100% sense? Eh, not so much. Not so much. But there were multiple place, parts that didn't make that much sense. Just the comment about Curazon's original plan to come across the different dimensions and then come back uh, to insert Odo in so not only is he skipping between dimensions but he's skipping between time right because why is he skipping between time well because didn't he say at the beginning that odo died mm -hmm. it flared up the war and right. basically the gem hardar came across and kicked major butt on the station and everything else right so it seems like he wants to go back in time say hey here's odo and avoid all that damage uh, no, I think he just wants to stop the war. Because I think the, mm, the... Stop it from going on any further. Because the war is already going. Right, right. He wants to stop it from continuing. Because he thinks Continue. that if they can prove that Odo is alive and well, then the Federation won't blame the Dominion for killing Odo. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the Dominion uh, won't okay. blame the Federation well, for killing one of the founders. I, I think that was, so, that was the catalyst. That so started. the war is going. Deep Space Nine is almost destroyed. And then he goes dimension skipping. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a lot of stuff still going on as he's skipping dimensions. But right. Okay. Well. Well, he wasn't in our universe for too long, so you would think that he probably doesn't spend very long in each dimension before he realizes that well, he needs to turn around and go back. If all I saw was a bunch of uh, board cubes, mm -hmm. I would be leaving quickly. But... Um, I think he might have to stick around a little bit longer to make sure for certain that there's no Odo around. But Right. Yeah. I mean, especially if you've got another Defiant popping up out of nowhere. It's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> it's one of those things I won't worry about. Right. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with that part. My big problem was Kira, alternate Kira's logic as far oh, as well, why, why she's evil. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, what, 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 why should your... I mean, you're a little player, Bajor. I mean, why should you think just because there is a Dominion-Federation alliance that the Federation is going to treat you any differently? Exactly. It's like, huh? No. I mean, aren't they part of the Federation anyway? Or uh, They're not part of the Federation yet. They okay. Become, they become part of the Federation uh, towards the end. Uh, like, well, Season 8, if there was Season okay. 8, is about when... Oh, they when it actually happens. Okay. Right. So they're just a protectorate or whatever. Right. Okay. Well. But yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. No. I mean, as far and and for her to kill Odo, which then you know brings up all the stuff. Well, you know, up until that point, what was her relationship with Odo? I mean, it's the same as it is in our universe, or completely different. Right. Well, I guess different, or else she she wouldn't kill him. I don't know. I mean, if you. Kira's always seemed the type that would, you know, put the needs of the many over her own <laughs> needs. <laughs> and sometimes she does take it a little extreme, but... Uh, you, you avoided quoting the exact words on that, but uh, I notice. Well, I didn't want to muddy the waters. Okay, okay. But anyways, I mean, she's she's always been a, you know, Machiavellian type character. Ooh. Oh, what a reference. Did I use it right? I don't know. I never have gotten that 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 phrase right myself, but no, I think I think I did. 
I think it's, you know, when you put the in justifies the means kind of thing. Ah, ah, there you go. Killing one person to stop a war that's going to... Or stop an alliance. Stop an alliance that's going to then start a war, which is going to be worse for you. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Nothing she did makes sense. Right. (laughs) And then she throws in the Romulans and just a, 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 you know, a Romulan Bajoran would fare better than a Dominion Federation. Right. What? <laughs> yeah. When did Romulus get into this at all? Uh, alternate dimension. Well, there was wasn't there a Romulan delegate in the uh, in the talks with the Dominion? Right, but. But yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm just... I mean, are they? I thought they were just representing the Alpha Quadrant in general, not necessarily. Yeah. It... Yeah, it, it it doesn't. But at least at the end, she ends up sacrificing herself to make amends because even there, even though she does wacko things in the end, she's still a good person. Right, right, right. And and that's that would be the right way to do it. If you really thought that the only way to you know stop this war is to completely cut off the wormhole, yeah, she did the right thing. Yep. I don't really buy that the. Uh, Federation people were able to tractor in that escape pod, push it out of the wormhole, get back in the wormhole, use the transwarp to get to their universe <laughs> all before she blows it up. But hey, <laughs> they were running out of pages of this 64-page spectacular. <laughs> Wrap it up. And it was a long, a long story. I do like seeing um, Dax, Curzon Dax. Curzon. Uh, I, I enjoyed seeing that. So there's there's a plus, I think, in the that, in the story. The first time we've ever actually seen what Curzon looks like. I, I don't remember seeing it before, uh, and if we did see it before, it must have just been like a panel or something just to show him. But he, this is the first time I remember him being an active member of a story. Right, right. I think there's been some like maybe flashbacks or whatever. Right. So that Borgy kind of metal stuff that's on O'Brien's face and arm. I think that's just band-aids. That's some pretty heavy-duty band-aids. I, I agree with you, but uh, that, that it, it it's not Borg stuff, but right. it looks like Borg stuff, and it it's does. like, dang! So they got metallic ba- bandages in the future. Well, there you go. In the in the alternate universe. Exactly. Well, whatever. Yeah, here in our universe or the un- prime universe, whatever you want to call it, they have um, neuro generators. Dural, uh, dural generators, yeah. Dur- Regenerators, dural right, regenerators. Yeah, something like that. Right. Although I remember Picard having a little band-aid kind of thing on his face after uh, he was assimilated. Was best of best of both worlds, was right? That? Yeah, but by the time Brothers came on, he he was he was fine again, exactly. But now, not, did... not not a slab of metal on his face. Nope. 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 Okay. Not like uh, Seven of Nine, who could never get rid of it. Yeah, that too. I didn't mention it, but alternate O'Brien's big motivation uh, for updating the Defiant was that Keiko and Molly were dead, which was kind of sad. Yeah, that was sad. Because when they first when they first said that, all you knew was that somebody was dead. When they first said it, it was like, "Oh, uh, Keiko, oh, not Molly." And then you find out later, yeah, both. It's like, ah, that's sad. Right, that's pretty rough. Snuff, sad. Sniff, sad. Anyway, so, and I, I guess I was a little wrong on the uniform of the alternate universe. I forgot that they had that V thing in there. In there front of their tunics. So instead of being a straight line of color across their shoulders, mm-hmm. it dips down into a V right at, at their uh, at their sternum area. Yeah. Yep. It is an alternate universe after all. Right. And it was interesting how it's yet another dimension rather than the one we were used to coming back and forth with Smiley O'Brien Right. I mean, this is not even a universe that we got to see in that Wharf episode, Parallels. Because this is a uniform design I've never seen. Ah, good point. 
So, but there's infinite universes out there, and infinite story possibilities. So Over, overall, I like this story. I'm I'm don't want to bash it too much. I think the end got a little muddied, as far as you know somebody's you know some of the motivations, but for the most part, it was a pretty standard. We got to go save somebody and. Everybody, even the people who are doing the wrong thing, like Curzon and Odo, you know, are doing it for the right reason, kind of thing. Which, which I always kind of like. And Kira. Well, again, her her motivations were so muddied, I couldn't really follow what well, what she was talking about. <laughs> but as exactly. far as Curzon, I mean, yes, I agree that you know what what he was doing does break the Prime Directive, but yeah. Um, you know, so he is doing the wrong thing, but for the right reason, which right. which I always like. I like it when your antagonist has good motivations. Right. So. Yeah, so uh, I liked how Oda was investigating his own murderer. A little weird. A little weird, but how could he resist? I mean, that's the ultimate, uh, that's the ultimate investigation, isn't it? So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And right. then uh, turn the tables and having uh, the love of his life end up being his murderer was kind of interesting. Wasn't expect I wasn't expecting it. Right. Yeah, I was really wondering. That that's what made you that's what made me kind of stop and, you know, think about, oh, well, I wonder how much of this universe follows our universe. I mean, Right. It must to a degree because everybody happens to be in the same place at the same time, right? Well, except for Curzon instead of, um, instead of Ardax. But uh, aside from that, everybody had the same rank, mm-hmm. same positions. So, so you, you think... Would think that they would have similar, you know, love interests? I guess. Well, and at this point, at this point, uh, Odo loved Kira. Right, and now, but Kara did not love him. I mean, he. I mean, they were coworkers and they were friends, but there was no love going the other way. At this point, at this I point, no. So but I, she did I know can, about it. Uh, our Kira did know how he felt. Ah, uh, okay. So I can definitely see the pain uh, in Odo's face as uh, the woman he loves blows him away. <laughs> ouch! Ouch! Horrible! Horrible! And that shot of him getting uh, disintegrated there on page 16. Yep. It's pretty rough. Yep. Yep. He obviously knows it's coming. He's getting hit from the front, not the back. Uh, you can tell from that? I think. Maybe. Plus, uh, does he really even have eyes? I mean, can he just kind of, like, sense everything? I, who know? I, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about Odo for that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, when he turns into an urn... I mean, right. does he really know what's going on? He's got yeah. no ears. He's got no yeah, eyes. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, don't think about it. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like Odo morphing and time travel. You just don't want to think about it too much. And now dimensional travel. Put that in there, too. Well, yeah. And it's like if a Brian can do that, it's like uh, criminy. It's like, why don't you do that all the time and be investigating all these different dimensions, but whatever. Right. 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 Yeah, now that they have this trans-dimensional thing, why can't our Defiant ever do this again? Is that what you were saying? Well, yeah. Yeah, Good point. I thought you were talking about the uh, alternate one. But yeah, you're right. Well. Nope, I'm agreeing with you. Once you got the technology. Yeah. well, Well, even for them. I mean... They go back, they stop They stop the continuation of the war, and they could be doing it. So everybody well, goes across uh, they, dimensions. They can't because they destroyed the wormhole. Well, that's another I, thing. I took it that the wormhole was the catalyst for this transdimensional movement. Yeah. Well, and I found that interesting that they would use the wormhole for that. Hmm. But... So I, I don't even remember when they're moving back and forth between dimensions in the normal mirror universe ones for DS9. Are they doing it through the wormhole? I don't think Two? so. I, uh, I don't think so. I didn't remember that. No, yeah. like when Smiley comes over. 
Yeah. I think they use a transporter beam. Kind of oh, like kind of yeah. like the way they did it on the original series how they got over. Yeah. Cool. Ah, there are other ways. Well, that's that's um I okay, my last comment is I do I I, I always love the Defiant. Mm-hmm. I always like the design. It's a cool ship and she is featured two of her are featured quite a bit in this comic and I think some of the drawings were pretty cool. Yep. Yep. Now the the page that shows the Dominion Federation War where it shows not only Defiant but other the two page spread. Uh yeah, but there's like a page before that and a page after that that shows other shots. Those are awesome. The, that that reminds me of, you know, the the later Dominion War that that we actually get to see in real life on the TV screen uh, in those later right. seasons of Deep Space Nine. Right. So I do think it's kind of funny how this predates that and kind of uh, really drives home what a, what a Federation Dominion War would look like. Yes. Because it shows like a that might be an Excelsior-class ship just exploding with the saucer section and the sails flying off. and Right. It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful horror. I'm just saying the whole overall, uh, you know, the, the whole fight is is just a really cool picture. Yeah, because there's a lot of things going on. Right. A lot of individual ship to ship battles or ship to multiple ship battles. And I don't know if that's the gal- just a normal galaxy class ship or is that the Enterprise? I don't know, but it is a galaxy class ship. Could be. Right. Because well, then, and then we've got a. Uh, it looks like. What a Miranda class, or, uh, or I think we've had this discussion before. But what kind of looks like a uh, Reliant, right? Ship, yeah. Which is like, down. should they even have those anymore? Flying still around, have, still have Excelsior ships flying around. Well, yeah, but but yeah, you would think they would be mothballed by then. Because I thought the um, I thought the Reliants were more like. The Reliant, well, Reliant class, Miranda class, whatever the class it is. I thought that was more uh, a contemporary of the Constitution class ships. Right. Where, you know, the Excelsiors were at least the next generation of shipbuilding. Anyway, right. whatever. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. They, they think they reused some of. That might be the uh, Captain Morgan ship. What was his. Uh... Oh, they, they, they mothballed that out of the museum to throw at him? Well, you know, they... that's a good point. So when they had that thing where. Uh, Captain Morgan, and not not the rum, uh-huh. is uh, is forward in time. So several issues ago, we did we did a comic where there was a small story where uh, Fraser was dealing with the fact he was in the future, and they said they were going to mothball the ship because it's so old, so they can't use it. And it's like, right. well, there's why not? But there there's there's the same ship, right? I mean, right? Yeah, and that... the same class of ship. I mean, right, right. Eh, whatever. Bozeman, that was his ship. The Bozeman. Yeah. The Bozeman, yep. It's funny how yeah. I can remember stupid stuff like that, but I can't remember important things, so... Man. Yes. Well, you have interest in it. <laughs> I can't remember much about that report I was supposed to write last week, but... Yeah. can't remember the people I met last week, but I can remember that Captain Morgan piloted the Bozeman. Or Captain <laughs> the Bozeman. Commanded. Yeah, whatever. All right, that was my last comment, just the... the, the Predating of the Dominion War that's uh, to come for Deep Space Nine folks. Right. Hey. All right. Anything else for you? Nope. Nada. Go. All right. So next week we will do a mini series again set in Deep Space Nine because Malibu was really cranking out the mini series and stuff at this time called Maquis Soldier of Peace. It's a three parter and we will be doing. All three next episode, episode 132. So, excellent. Go out there and get to reading. Because we're going to yeah. be talking about it next week. Yeah, and it's it's nice that it ends up uh, as a three issue arc. Convenient for us. Fits quite well. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it and, does. And then after that, we will be doing uh, IDW ongoing series 2021 and 22. Excellent, because the books are sitting on my desk, ready to go. Right. Ready to go. So it is loosely titled After the Darkness, or at least the uh, the last two. After Darkness? After Darkness. 
Right. So we see what happens after the film. Not to be confused with the prequel comic, which comes out later in the year, Khan. That's very exciting new news. At least it's as of the recording of this, it's new news. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And we had some theories on that, whether they would just cover the part where he gets on the thawed and then Marcus takes advantage of him, or whether it would go all the way back to Khan's original attempted uh, takeover of the Earth. Right. And from the little blurb I read on StarTrek.com, it's going to be both. So... I think it's a five-parter, so maybe each maybe they'll jump around in time, so each issue is set in a different time. So maybe the creation of Khan's the first one, the second one might be his rise, the third one might be his fall, his fourth one might be him being thawed out, and the fifth one would be him, uh, you know, being used and abused, being used, and then him, you know, breaking away and then ultimately leading up to Into Darkness movie. Right. That's 100% speculation on me as far as what goes in each ish episode or each each issue. issue. But uh, if you are going to span that time frame, those are the five story points I would like to have uh, to be able to see. Yeah, and since at least in the original continuity, there uh, has been have been mo- uh, novels that have covered what happened in Khan's original origin and fall. Uh, it should be interesting to see how things might have changed. Well, wait a minute. Um, this all would have been before the time shift. Exactly. So theoretically, this should be exactly the same as those <laughs> previous novels. Exactly. That's that's one of the things I'm kind of like gritting my teeth on a little bit. That huh. Just because it's a new continuity from Nero showing up on that doesn't explain how it can be a new continuity for the 1990s yeah, exactly. when Khan was created. So Exactly. I'm a little, little nervous about how that's going to play out. Yeah, that's why it's like, um, you know, that that's cool they're going back in time and doing the rise and fall thing, but it's like, it's almost like, you know, it's been done already and it shouldn't change, so why are you doing it? But, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> right, right. Anyways, so I'm still looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, completely. You know, whatever they do is going to be great, but, you know. Right, right, right. But the little fanboy in you wants it to all match. Or at least it does for me. Yep. All right, well, let's wrap up this episode and uh, let everybody go so they can dig out their their Deep Space Nine miniseries for next week. Sounds good. Out of their comic box. Excellent. So. All right, so take care, everybody, and talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.